Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Tales from the Pit. I'm your stalwart pitsman, Mr. Michael Swaim. Thanks for joining us. Um, you know, I kind of could have had this conversation with anybody. I think it's one of the more universal topics we'll hit upon. Uh, I, always rewarding to talk to someone with a very unique and specific life experience, but I thought in this case we'd talk about something we all share, uh, that we're going to die someday. So I chose to speak with my good friend Adam Ganser for reasons I think will become apparent as the conversation unspools. But as usual, I have a little short story to read for you up top, and then we'll get into the interview itself. This is called, There Will Come Soft Brains. Dawn broke pink and pale yellow over the crest the day Charlie went to work for the last time. Wispy clouds moved low across the sky like pencil-thin mustaches, inchworms, incisions. He decided to walk. His feet knew the route by muscle memory. It was the next best thing to taking the bus, thought Charlie. He could sit back, relax, and take in the sights. The first rays of real sunlight picked out bits of glass and pottery amongst the rubble and made them sparkle. A big black column of smoke that had developed over the last few days greeted him cheerily. The smell of animal matter quietly rotting hung in the air, but it was not as thick as it had once been, not enough to sway Charlie's feet from their course. Tumble-down tenements, finally fulfilling the destiny embedded in their descriptor, lay scattered in Charlie's way like post-tantrum Lego bricks. His feet took him patiently around them, making course corrections whenever he found himself bumping up against a felled power line or shattered brickwork. It was trial and error. He passed a few folks as his feet meandered up and over a gentle hill. A man he didn't recognize picked away at the last scraps of a picnic lunch in the browned grass despite the early hour. A woman he had known once shuffled past on her way to town, underdressed for the weather. He made eye contact with neither. Charlie had always been shy. As he topped the rise, Charlie's head swung around and his place of work came into view. It looked like a sheet cake someone dropped a bowling ball on. Half of it was a massive crater partially filled with rainwater, grass already growing between and through chunks of concrete like platelets coagulating to seal a wound. The other half was glass and graphite, vast, and wildly out of place nestled among several acres of unspoiled forest as it was. Its design was timelessly futuristic, minimal, and sleek. It lay there among the trees like a crash-landed UFO. Undeterred, Charlie made his way to an employee entrance on the unruined side of the building, startling a flock of birds as he staggered through fallen branches and brambles. Emerging from the final furrow that lay between him and the office, he noticed a large chunk of flesh had been ripped from the top of his left foot, which was shoeless. I knew I forgot something, thought Charlie. He soon passed under the shadow of the sign bolted to the front of the building. It said, Applied Biotechnical Solutions. As he approached the automatic door, an ARFID chip that had been inserted into the flesh behind Charlie's right ear the day he was hired communicated with nearby circuitry. The door opened and he passed through, leaving soggy footprints. The trip from the employee entrance to Charlie's personal workspace was not a walk in the park either. Office furniture barricades, bullet holes, elevators out of order. Charlie sighed inwardly at the coppery smell of great quantities of dried blood, old blood. He wanted to clean it up, but that wasn't his job. Try as he might, Charlie's body only seemed to want to take him from home to work to back home again, echoing the simple journey he had made most often in his life. So muscle memory and instinct again drove Charlie on, up a concrete ramp and onto the metalwork walkway that would take him to the cafeteria kitchen stockroom. 
Soft overhead lights glowed and dimmed in succession as they sensed him pass beneath them. A soothing song played faintly from somewhere. Charlie felt the pain of the fresh gouge in his foot, throbbing, shocking. No blood rushed into the wound from his pale, necrotizing flesh, but it hurt just the same. Charlie wondered how that was possible, and about dead nerves and phantom pain and the mind-body connection, but he was no scientist, just a prep cook. He forced himself to let the thought go for the thousandth time. Because Charlie was still in there, you know? That's what you can't know until it's too late. It's only the body that rots, only the body that turns. The mind, that's all intact. As you get sick, as you kill and eat, as you choke down wet handfuls of undifferentiated human flesh. It had been at least three months since the outbreak, and he remembered it all, tucked away in there inside his own body. It was the next best thing to riding the bus. And miracle of miracles, even through the pain and madness, Charlie was still with it enough to feel grateful. For example, he hated rot, but he was thankful for it too, rot and rust. The things that end, that make change and make way. Today, Charlie was grateful for the rusty metal plate beneath his feet that chose this moment to buckle and tumble him down into a nest of frayed wires still juiced with electric thanks to the facility's underground generators and turbines. Charlie's body thrashed and moaned, trying to untangle itself, but it only made matters worse. Charlie could feel the buzzing pain racking his nervous system, could smell the ozone smell of the plastics in his clothes starting to melt and catch. In his mind, he sang a song of exultation. He thanked God for inventing impermanence. It takes quite some time for the flames of a body on fire to reach and destroy the brain. Charlie couldn't die of smoke inhalation or black out from pain, but he could feel the flames eating him. That was all right, he decided. Just before his eyeballs burst, he thought he could make out the fire licking up the walls of the facility itself. It was going to burn down now, all of it. He was glad. Charlie tried to think of something important to think, but couldn't. Instead, his weary gray matter automatically related the experience he was undergoing to some words he'd read in a short story that stuck in his mind. He let them loop pleasingly as things wound down. Smoke and silence, a great quantity of smoke. Smoke and silence, a great quantity. And like death, this will have a slow roll intro. Mm. Yeah? Seems fitting. We do coast into the afterlife, right? I guess. If you're lucky? Or is it lucky? So Okay, there's a first question. Yeah, yeah. Would you rather slowly coast into the afterlife or bang and you're there? Yeah. Like die in your sleep? I've I've now had a few relatives who, by the way, I'm Adam. Nice to see you, Mike. Uh, yes, a pleasure. And this is Adam Ganser. I'm Michael Swaim. This is Tales from the Pit. Let's go. That's right. Uh, 
I've had a few relatives now who passed uh, slowly, and it was like, man, just the last like couple years were a, a real bummer. Um, mm. I have a friend whose mother died kind of young, like in her fifties, of uh, Alzheimer's, like Alzheimer's, uh -huh. and it, and that was wow, really pretty, early onset. Yes, and yes, um, and it it's it's changed him, you know, um, mm. and it's that's changed my view on the long slow taper. You know what I mean? Cause like yeah. those last couple years, man, it's like, nah, you know, they, they seem pretty rough. Yeah. My uncle went that way. Pancreatic cancer. Yeah. It was only about a year of the real rough stuff, but it is rough. It's holding you up while you go to the bathroom. It's right. him apologizing for falling apart. And it's like, oh man, you don't have to apologize. You know, uh, yeah. you know, for any of us could be in the position you're in. And uh, it's rough. It's rough. I did smoke a joint with him towards the end at his request. How was that? That was nice. Yeah? Uh, it was a solemn but dignified joint smoking. <laughs> I, I held in the cough for Uncle John. We love you, Uncle John. I still have a shrine to him in my house. He was my favorite uncle. We it, had a lot of fun times together. Is this the Laserdisc guy? Well, my dad's and the Laserdisc guy. The but yes. And everything? John, yeah, John's his yeah, brother. Yeah. He had even more laser discs. Yeah, that yeah. is true. That's funny that that's what stuck in your head. But yeah, yeah. he smoked a pack of cigarillos every day and ate red meat every single night and drank a lot. So uh, it's not like an unearned death, but it's not a pleasant death that yeah. I would wish no, upon sure. someone. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you don't wish a death on anyone. Like, you know ah. I mean? I, I don't. But it will come nonetheless. That's, that's true. <laughs> yes. And that's an interesting thought to me. So- uh, would you don't, I mean, do you wish death upon someone who's in those final years? I don't uh, know, because I have a godfather, maybe my favorite guy in the universe. He plays God in the novel I just released. Oh, and, that's cool. I mean, he officiated my first wedding, yeah. which is a lesser uh, accolade, but um, Glenn Crooks, one of the best, I think, painters alive, has now uh, like dementia setting in. And mm. I wonder, you know, I wonder how those final years will be and how long, how many years we're in for with him not knowing where he is or who he is. And uh, do you wish death upon someone like that? Um, you know, I know it's their decision, but since it's inevitable, have thoughts. I mean, like, like the older I get, the more I, the less scandalized I find Jack Kevorkian. You know what right. I mean? Like, or, or like, like I, you know, it's like, yeah, there are just some situations where death is a mercy. I completely agree with that. Uh, is he dead? I believe he's he got to be dead by I now. Believe Dr. Kravorkian, yeah. Dr. Death. Yeah. Finally put his money where his mouth is. <laughs> Practice what you preach, my That's friend. That's right. Yeah. He earned it. Earned his stripes. Yeah. No, uh, you know, but that was like, weirdly, like a big time story uh, 30 years ago. Like that went right. on and on, and uh, Doctor Death. Yeah, now it doesn't seem. I don't, I don't know if the world's changed or if I've changed, but it it just now it's like, why did we care about that? I, you know what I mean? Like that's a strange problem. Well, I still believe euthanasia is still illegal, or is it not? I think it I'm is. not even caught up on that. I think it, I is. Think it still is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, although you can do a DNR, right? Like, uh, if I stroke out, let me go kind of thing i think is as close of, as we've gotten you can you can set conditions in a living will that are like if x happens right. let me die but it has to be written out ahead of time i don't yeah i don't so think that's another one it. yeah 
My dad literally just did this. He just oh, met yeah? with the lawyers and mm. did his living will, which has got to drive it home. I think about how it drives it home for me, you mm. know, and thinking about the inevitability of my parents' death. But I wonder what it's like to be him. And I guess I'll find out someday. But making the living will has got to be quite a trip. I, yeah, some people, I mean, my dad, my, my dad's one of those guys who's like, I, you know, I have a trust set up and I've had it since I was 35 and I've had my living will in place since I was 40. And I, mm. I think some people think of it in a more business-like way so they don't want to have to deal with it at an emotional time. Is that, uh -huh. is that your dad where he is with it? No, no. He's put it off to the last second, as is his nature. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the last second, knock on wood. I mean, he's still pretty spry. Yeah. But I mean, he, he wouldn't have done it unless we as a family highly encouraged him to do it. Mm. Because he's just starting to begin that slide, I think. I see. To being a little less able to care for himself. You know, he just lost the ability to drive. And rightly so. Like, oh. he's no longer capable of driving. Really? Uh, which I think is a sign. Okay. Interesting. Starting to lose his memory. Stuff like that. Get disoriented. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I gotta say, I, I met him for the first time at your wedding this year. He was, what a sweet man he is. Very sweet. Yeah. Irrepressibly sweet yeah, and chipper. Yeah, great guy. He's also the reason that I do what I do. He's the reason I love pop culture. Absolutely. So for better or worse, like he trained me for this job. Not this one, not Tales from the Pit, but every <laughs> right. other every podcast other we run. Yeah, yeah. Right. Bought me my first video game, showed me all the movies, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, he ain't dead yet, so I don't even want to be doing this. It makes me slightly uncomfortable to even be going down this road, but... It is interesting how death allows you to reflect on the best aspects of someone without complication. Like, I have yes. a complicated relationship with my dad, but when I, once he's dead, I don't think I will, because the unit of life will be wrapped up, you know? Weirdly, when I was preparing for this this morning, uh, that was the issue that kept surfacing in my brain, is like how we talk about people who've died. Like that. Yeah. That's an area that makes me a little bit sad now. But I, I mean, I don't want to drive this into a direction you're not interested in talking about. But like, well, I'm interested in all of it. Okay. We're just talking death generally. It's a it's a strange cultural thing now where uh, it's become important to like not have uh, not let people sort of pass graciously if they have a checkered past in some way. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. And you mean like this, the clapbacks on Twitter, that kind of thing? Yeah, right. And like, uh, even like the more, I guess you might call them official, I don't know, the, the more official uh, outlets sort of feel a bit beholden to that now. It's like, a, it's been a cultural shift where we used to sort of give the Henry Kissingers, to use an example of that happening recently, like, you know, just sort of, he was like the, the, the tombstone epitaph goodbye you would know? be like he sure did a thing it was impactful right. whatever you want to say right yeah right and like and now we're like fuck that guy exactly. dance on his Rest grave in piss, <laughs> yeah. you know? uh, and i'm not even saying that henry kissinger doesn't deserve that because he he does you know um, that's why you picked him as an example I did, right yeah. but i but i i worry about the trend of it i worry about the cruelty of that trend that, that mm. we're sort of losing uh we're, we don't care enough about people to like want to send them off well or care yeah. about the people who are impacted by those decisions that bothers me a bit um not for him but in general it bothers me a bit you know Dig yeah it's totally. stripped some dignity from death and death can have a dignity ah can it okay that's yeah. what i okay so speak more on that because i know 
there's a you know a large movement of people who I think would say or or poets for example who would say you know rage against the dying of the light right. no we're we're right. animals and in death we are just as frightened as a cornered animal and just as craven and that's how you're going to face death is like naked with a switchblade you know yeah i i kind of yeah. i find that idea very romantic in a sense um but i think that's the person who needs to celebrate a life more than somebody who's not afraid of death at all. I like I think I think the person who thinks that death is uh gonna snatch you from all meaning is a person who should celebrate the 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 few stimuli created by the forty to eighty to ninety years a person vibrated on this uh, plane, right? Shouldn't yeah, they? Yeah. Um it's and it's so it's strange to rob that of like it's strange to not choose to extract the meaning from a person's life. Because remember, they're dead, right? So whatever, whatever comes beyond death, if it's nothing, if it's you know, some eternal uh, second life. State of being, right. Whatever comes beyond death, it seems fairly clear that they don't interact with, uh, they don't seem conscientious of the things we're going to say about them. So everything we're going to say about a person is for us. For our own benefit. Or, I don't know, it is possible that they could be aware of it but have no mechanism by which possible. to go hey yeah. don't say that <laughs> you know but um yeah by and large we like to think that whether it's because their ego has been unwound and fed back into the universal source or whatever you would like to think earthly concerns are beyond you at that point right i don't i don't see a way logically to it to to them being aware of Caring. what's going on. Even if they're aware, why would they care? I guess. Yeah, I don't point. see a way to that. Um, I don't see a way the to The demarcation so complete. Yeah. It's interesting because when I said maybe my relationship with dad will be simplified once he passes, my wife, Jen, was in the room and they shook their head no very strongly. Uh, oh, really? So I do think talking about the relationship with those who have passed, that's interesting because mm. Jen has very complex relationships with several dead people. And I, mm. I take it from their head shaking that they're saying, no, those relationships remain complex. And that's almost that makes sense heartening to me. to me. Yeah, yeah. Not not that it's always good what those relationships are, but I like the idea that the relationship continues. And I know when my mom talks about, see, this is so so different than me, and this is something I wish or or would love your take on. Mm -hmm. My mom will swear that her relationship with her dead mom continues. And in fact it develops, meaning my grandma was really abusive to my mom growing up, and my mom feels like after death, they have worked some of that out, like post-death. Sure. Uh, oh, together, you mean? Yeah. Together they have. Together, yes, okay. yes. Like, grandma has apologized after her death and things like Does that. You, I, your mom believes in an afterlife? De I think so. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Because she believes, like, she'll see a butterfly and think, that's our friend Hans who killed himself is in ah, that butterfly. Oh, okay. Um, like a sort of a pantheistic version of it. Or it's a sign of his grace or presence. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I do. The one part I think that I can agree to without even, you know, quibbling about what is true and what is not is uh, I completely agree that she with, if she tells me I, we've come to a, some new catharsis. I completely believe that, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I right? believe that it's true yeah, for her. I believe Absolutely, that's true for her. One hundred percent. 
Um, we might disagree about all the mechanics of it, but it's not. But that's you know, it's not for me to show up and tell her. This is how. This is what really happened. To you. you know what I mean? Like, sure it is. She's listening. Yeah, hi mom. I don't, You're wrong. No, no, no. You're wrong. No. She knows I. She knows I love and respect her. I would never do that. Of course. Um, she's a wonderful person, uh, who I enjoy very much. This is what I'm mainly fishing for: is you to compliment various members of my. Family. I do love your family. They, like your mom. Your mom <laughs> has been good so sweet to me over the. Oh yeah, she's great. Ten, fifteen years I've known her. She's. She was the very first guest on this show, actually. Yeah. That was a great yeah. episode. Yeah. I yeah. That. Except for the technical sound error, which still haunts me to this day. But yes, it was a great conversation. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a relative right there. That's Haunting a podcaster's you. bane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're saying yeah, a relative is fucking with the audio. That's an uncle who's pissed yeah. off at you for something you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All my uncles are alive. Yeah. Which is astounding at this point. That's really? another thing that strikes me about myself wow. is I have yet to experience the death of someone well, I, I just said all my uncles are alive, except the one that I just right. talked about right. his death in detail. Um, but I have yet to experience a death in my immediate family or of any of my very closest friends. And I'm approaching 40. And I 40 is not too old, but I still think that's pretty lucky. Most people I know have had a very defining death in their lives at this point. And I wonder if that's part of the reason I still fear death so much, yeah. because I really do. And that's what sort of oh, made really? me want to talk about this, mm. is I think about it often, and it gives me a vertiginous, dizzying fear as if I'm an animal trapped in the corner with a, naked with a switchblade. Mm. Like, I get very, very afraid of death. And I wonder where you're at with that. Yeah. And if that has changed based on people you've known that have passed or not. Uh, okay. I'm going to take that piece at a time. Um, do it. So I've lost grandparents. Uh, I'm sure you've also mm. lost grandparents, I imagine. Yes, but I wasn't close with any. Okay. Of them. Yeah. I mean, I loved all my grandparents. Um, and I've lost them as time's gone on. One of them a few years ago was my final, my final grandfather passed. Um, but I haven't had a death in the immediate family, like no brother or sister or father, mother, like they're all still alive. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that's an order of magnitude more difficult from everything that I've seen in life. Um, so I am speaking from ignorance to some degree, as are you, I think, about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, also like, I think you and I both live in the assumption, like we'll live a full human lifespan probably. You know what I mean? Like that's another uh, thing. Don't even get me started on the fragility of your actual right. life. Oh my that God. Because... Yeah, I think as you get older, you really feel, really yep, feel you do. that I could die tomorrow. You do. And you, real, you know that as a fact. Whereas when you're younger, it's very abstract, the idea that you could die tomorrow. Yeah. Because what children don't die, and then you're like, oh, wait, as they you They do up, die, though. Children, children die constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a cousin who uh, was supposed to die uh, at four from a brain tumor. Um, wow. it dramatically shaped her life. I mean, like she's, she's never had, um, she's never had, a she's never not had the complications of those surgeries affect her life to this day. She's oh man. We have a family friend who I really enjoy. Richard Lesh. Good guy. Haven't seen him in maybe 15 years, but mm -hmm. he is alive. I know that. And he his father and his father's father both died in their 30s of a rare like heart deformity that he also had. Oh, wow. 
And our whole childhoods, he talked about how he'll be dead soon. And so he never took a mate or had children because he'll be dead soon. And he doesn't want to do that to people. And of course, he's like 70 now and alive. I mean, just by chance, you know, yeah. Some people have better fortune than others. Uh, Is that fortune, though? That's why I'm like, that kind of sucks for him, right? That was a a rough trade. Yeah, I guess. Right. I guess it's sort of. Which thing does he, what he want? I don't know. Um, yeah. I want to answer. And he lived with that. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, no, you're no. right. I took us it's away okay. from the initial question. Man, Go I, for it. I, this is an organic conversation. So like, I, Very much I think, so. I think anybody who's really honest, staring death in the face is not easy. Um, like, you know, I'm a Christian. That's a thing we've talked about many times um, yeah. on this network and privately. Uh, so like, I have views about what happens after death, but I still look at if i take a long time to look at death you know like you you really feel the uncertainty of things you know what i mean like um i think everyone does i i anyone who says they don't feel that i'm i'm just sort of curious it's like uh are you really and, are you I, and there at are death? those but are you looking well at there it? are those so i i talked this episode up on tiktok and solicited some observations from our fans sure or i'll say friends of the show and friend of the show doc garby says Scared of death? No. Scared of an unending existence? Yes. Please bring on sweet oblivion. Although I do experience anxiety about leaving mundane tasks unfinished when I die that others have to deal with. I disagree piece by piece with every part of that experience. Like, yeah. scared of death? Yes. Scared of an unending existence? No, I want that. And then, I'm not going to give a shit if I didn't do my taxes, if I die. That's one of the benefits. That's one of the perks. Like if I didn't wash the dishes and I die, that's done for me now. That's not, that's a YP, not an MP. I you feel know? like, uh, I mean, and again, I'm, I'm not going to speak to Doc Garby's uh, views. No, it's fodder for the, for yeah, the conversation. Who, I, Thank I, you, Doc. I, yeah, I love Doc. Great guy. Um, I, I think it's hard to maintain that viewpoint if you're really spending time looking death in the face. I think all of us come to a set of beliefs about death so that we don't have to look it in the face until it's time. You know, and you hear this over and over that people who do have to spend time looking death in the face often come to different understandings, different views on a lot of things because it's a transformative experience. You know, like... Yeah, it's probably totally. it's probably not well known outside of Christianity, but like one of the one of the things that happens a lot to uh, Christians before death is they start to doubt their salvation. Not all of them, but a percentage of them do. Right, like mm-hmm. they start to sort of uh, get anxious about you know, have I really believed this? Am I am I fake? Like you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. A thing I completely understand because. Uh, death is such an uncertain final thing that suddenly this fire of anxiety is underneath them. Um, and I, you know, that's not a thing, of course, that gets broadcast out into the world because it, you know, because it makes a person look weak and I get that. But I think it's also yeah. really honest. I'm really you thinking know? of eating your lunch now. You seem like a pipsqueak I could push around, you know, for admitting this. I see I, you. I, yeah, I, I saw you, yeah. uh, I saw you break the thermos out in the whole no, thing. But- <laughs> That's right. No, but I want to read a couple more comments that bear on this. Um, Talking about staring it in the face. Asking seven says I worked as a funeral director for a couple of years and it demystified death and dying. 
it's an inevitability. Oh shit, what? I'm just learning this now? No, it's an inevitability. <laughs> I'd prefer not to be alone though. Yeah. Uh, definitely with you on preferring to not be alone. Yeah. Uh, the circumstances of death are sometimes, like you said, the sadness is not necessarily the death itself, but the circumstances of maybe dying alone or dying let's say after all your loved ones are dead, I almost fear living the longest. Living the longest would also suck because by definition, because you're alone, you're, right. the long, you've experienced the death of every single person you love if you're 100, right? I've gotten more serious about the idea of getting married in the last few years, in part because uh, I've had to do a little bit more like taking care of myself, going to the hospital for things, you know, like just that. Yeah. And like, I'm like, man, I don't want to do all that by myself, like that whole long trudge toward the end by myself. Yeah. Um, I get, I get that comment. I, I have a question for you though. Is it okay? Um, please. What do you think happens? Like, what oh, do you think that's, what happens? Yeah. Well, so it's, it feels like the basest arrogance to say this and it's, what scares me, actually, and I, I don't know why it scares me, because I know I'm wrong in the sense that the human brain is limited and there are things I can't comprehend. Right. Look at the nature of the universe. Look at infinity. Right. I know there's things I can't comprehend, and I know that there's things that are a mystery, and mysteries are not necessarily bad. Mysteries are scary, but that's the definition of the word. You don't know what they are. It's a mystery. It could be good. You don't know. And uh, I'm a big Vonnegut guy, and he mm -hmm. says we don't know enough to know what's good news and what's bad news, and I believe that very much. But at the same time, somehow, and this bums me the fuck out, I know in my bones, to the encoded into my DNA, is the belief that it's nothing. Is oh. the belief that it's the same as before I was born, which is to say mm. nothing. And I don't want to believe that, and I do believe it, and I don't know why. Like, I don't know why my brain won't allow me to come to any sort of peace with it. I'm very much in the place of it's nothing. It's a cold state of unconsciousness that we need to fight against at all costs. That's very strong in me. Mm. What, do you, you know, always believe that? It sucks. Um, I've always thought that anyone who says anything that might be remotely comforting or even opens up the possibility that there's something after death, I always think, well, now we're just lying to ourselves to make ourselves feel better. Is that what we're doing now? Okay. <laughs> we do. That, that is, there is a lot of that in death. You're, you're not wrong. There's a lot of that in death, yeah. but I think my stance is just as insupportable. I can't prove there's nothing after death. No, of in not. fact, it's silly to think that I could have that knowledge or that anyone could. Um, and there are demarcations beyond which, like time. I think about time a lot. Uh, we seem to experience time in a linear fashion. There's quantum physics experiments that prove that time is not objectively linear. Uh, so what the fuck does that That's mean, wild. right? Yeah. If, if, if all things that have ever happened or ever will happen are all happening and, and always will have happened, you know, that's another Vonnegut thing. Right. In one of his essays, he talked about how one of the great paradoxes of life is that you'll be dead for so long and you were not born for so long that it almost makes your life seem meaningless, right? A tiny candle flame in the vast darkness. But also, I had a nice picnic with my brother once and we sat by the lake and enjoyed sandwiches or whatever and fucked around on the swings. And no matter how much time passes, no matter what, that always will have happened. It cannot be expunged from the universe. 
uh, even in the face of infinity, it still happened. And I think both things are true, and yet they seem to conflict with each other. It's a great paradox to me. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Well, as I said, I'm a Christian. I believe there is an afterlife. Yeah. Uh, Right. Do you have a gut feeling about of what it's all about? What the afterlife is, or any what it is, is that what anything? You mean? Yeah. Do you have any deeply held belief about what it will be like, or just the belief that it exists and is beyond our comprehension? I have, I've grown to a few things about it. Um, that I, you know, there's anyone can research uh, Christian Christian theology, but there's a couple things about it that I that I think I have demythologized for myself. One is mm-hmm. it is not stasis. Like, I think a lot of people think of an afterlife as being always at the best moment. You know what I mean? Like a sort of a permanent snapshot, like a living snapshot of a time or a, a feeling or like everybody, like all your friends, right? Or the age at which you die. Right. You are that or, age forever. Or you're the youngest, yeah. cutest version of you, uh, you know, playing skee-ball with Jimi Hendrix or whatever. You know, like, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's it. I think that the afterlife, if it is real has to be a continuation of the experience of uh, no, understanding what love is, understanding what wisdom is, learning how to be more of yourself, uh, learning more about what is true about the universe on until, you know, endlessly. But change, change, there, change remains, remains a factor. Yes, cha- yeah. it's, it's, um, I think it was described well in a book that I do not think is good. Uh, it's the last of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Dianetics. <laughs> oh, okay. Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. 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 Is that um the last battle? Don Treader. Oh, last the last battle. battle. It's not the a good battle. book. That's I'm right. not recommending it. It. That, I read them all as a kid. It's though. fine. But they. He has one concept. I was like, that is. That's right. And the concept is that at the end they're all sort of running up to this next kingdom, and it's always going further up and further in. That's like the mm-hmm. concept of eternity, and I think that's right. You know, eternity well, is further up and yeah. further in, I think. Something that I console myself with that I that is true, or at least because another thing is, this could all be a dream, right? There's the Buddhist wing of thought. This can all be an illusion. This can all be right. immaterial. Um, but as far as what I observe, if it is objective reality, it seems to me that the big question is why anything like yes. if the universe came from the big bang and will end someday in a big crunch or dissipating, whatever it may be. Why, why was there anything? Why gravity versus no gravity? Like why was there even the fundamental fabric of the universe? There's no explicable reason for all this stuff to have happened for no reason. So I do kind of believe that there's some kind of reason or there's something that I don't understand. There has to be something bigger than what I comprehend because to me, the universe makes no sense. It shouldn't exist versus nothing. I don't know why there's something versus nothing. It's the unmoved mover thing, right? I mean, like you're not the first person, nor will you be the last to realize that a material universe uh, with a temporal beginning implies an immaterial beginning somehow with a force right. beyond space and time. It's just, it is what it is. We're, and we're trying to find out that, we've all been trying to find that force, whether it's a multiverse, whether it's an eternal universe. But you're right, something creates a problem. There being something is a problem. Um, 
Yeah. And, you know, I don't, we don't need to do all the apologetic stuff. That is a real piece of this death question, though. Right? Because death is, uh, death and life are these sort of bookends that are both impossible in a way. Like, life is impossible yeah. because I started somewhere and it's only because things outside of any, yeah. anything I have control over began. So, how can therefore they end? You know, those, those right. troubling and don't ideas. even get me started on self-consciousness or right? the idea that I, under, I understand that evolution is a very powerful force and it can just be an incredibly fancy scientific magic trick that we have self, self-awareness, but it really does feel inexplicable. Why did there need to be life it's, versus nothing? I think self-consciousness is still scientifically inexplicable. Um, I mm. think immateriality is still scientifically inexplicable. Will it always be? Probably not. Um, but I think it still is. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Meaning you think, do you think there's a chance that we could, through our terrestrial means, meaning science, right, in, in this material plane, do you think there will ever be a way that we can gain insight into the afterlife? Or is it always well, fundamentally unknowable? So, how can I, like, let me give you a, a thing. Could, could it ever be proven that there is no, or because, an afterlife? Could we scientifically prove that, no matter no, how advanced we get? No, science as a tool, I mean, man, I hope I'm not going to get a bunch of hate mail for this. Science as a tool is not able to answer questions of things that exist beyond matter and natural causes, right? Because it's made of matter right. and it natural just, it's not causes. Able, right. It's not able to explain those things. So like, even when, for instance, you get people who give accounts of near-death experiences, right? There's a lot of them. There's a lot of near-death experiences, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of overlap in them, right? Like there's, uh, you know, people who, the idea of sort of traveling through a tunnel into a white space, like just, you know, like a, a place full of life and joy. Like, and then, of course, there's scientists who go, that's just the way your brain yes, shuts down. That's it's what, what everyone sees. What that is is uh, that's the way that science explains the phenomenon by describing the the corresponding biochemistry, natural experience stimuli that yeah. it, that occur. Right? Yeah, and I think science will always be able to do that and should be able to do that. And I think the the question will always remain: Does that explain the causal nature of it? And I think there will there's right. going to be a gap, an, an epistemological gap there, um, because a lot of what you, a lot of stuff that happens or has happened, can't be diagnosed in that way or understood in that way, right? Like, mm. I, yeah, yeah. So hopefully that's not too controversial of an opinion today. No, no. I mean, you we both didn't call Baldur's Gate 3 game of the year <laughs> oh, on our boy. other podcast. So we nearly we're died already from used that. to the hate. Yeah, we, are, we yeah. nearly died from that. Now, I, like, I say that because um, I think there's a lot of us who, because we've grown to trust science as sort of the primary arbiter of meaning, you know, and the mm-hmm. primary arbiter of truth, uh, I think the feeling you have of there's nothing is, a, is the kind of truth that would come from a purely scientific worldview, right? Yes, and I was raised secularly yeah. with a great respect for science. As you should. I mean, and, and I think that's a good way to, I think it's good to respect science in this way. I just think that what is happening is you've come up against the limitations of science. Right. right. And, and therefore maybe the limitations of what we can know empirically about the material universe. If there is an immaterial universe, right. we can't know about it because we're material. 
Right. And and the things that we experience that are immaterial, like the mind's eye or self-consciousness and stuff, mm-hmm. remain elusive. Uh, right. Now, I, I, I think that's where the other thing I wanted to tell you about the afterlife that may surprise you is, I still think there will be bodies. I still, I, oh, I do not believe in a disembodied spiritual afterlife, like, you know, robes and clouds, and I don't believe in that. I believe that whatever the afterlife is must be, I think that human beings will exist in bodies. I, I think that human beings are fundamentally built to be in bodies. I think, I think science is right about that. Our brain is our, you know, considering yeah. that the brain is just another part of the body. Yes, we are our bodies. Yeah. It's all that we are. It makes up everything it's, that we are. The electrochemical impulses are what we I are. I don't know if I agree that it's all that we are, but it's essential ah, to what we are. Yeah. That I think is true. It, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, Liddy. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Liddy. Says... I had a health scare a year ago that sent me into a panic about death. I took medication for a while, but also I plan to die every day now. And if by the end of the day I don't, it's a win. So that's funny, but also speaks to this is sort of what I'm worried about as far as because because worrying about death is worrying about life. Right. As as we've discussed, once you're dead, you sort of will either have bigger concerns or no concerns at all. So in my life the place that death takes up. I, I worry that after I experience the death of someone very close to me, which I inevitably will, um, I will think about death every single day. Right, like obsessively. Liddy. And I don't know if that's a comical exaggeration, but um, she says, I sort of plan to die every day now because I've had a brush with death. Have you, have you come close to dying yourself? Have you had a brush with death? No. I mean, I, I guess almost accidents. I feel like I had one or two of right, those. Sure. I was in a car accident yeah. that was you know, somewhat serious, uh, but no, I haven't. I was in a car accident when I was nine that was very serious, and I was conked on the head to the right. point of brain damage. Could have killed me. You know, it's just a matter of inches or a few, few more pounds of force against my head, and I would have died, but... That still doesn't feel like it. I didn't feel like I brushed. You didn't have to look at it. I think because I was so young, because it rendered me unconscious, and then I just woke up and I wasn't dead. It never occurred to me to change my relationship with death because of the car accident. Um, But I find it so interesting. What Liddy says is that it really did change her understanding. And like um, asking seven said about the funeral, working at the funeral home. That one's crazy to me because I've heard that before. That. There are cultures, right? There, there's cultures where monks entomb people and like have a, a respect for death and a really deep relationship with death that we sort of obscure in Western culture right. because, frankly, I think we're afraid to confront That's death true. that directly. But there are cultures where they do confront death correctly, uh, directly that f- what I hear is death is more of a friend to them or like you can really change your relationship with death. It almost seems to me as a secular humanist automatic that you must fear death and be existentially terrified of the concept of stasis or nothingness. Um, and yet I, we know from our funeral director friends and we know from, you know, cultures where they treat death differently that you can have a different kind of relationship with death. Uh, I wish I could, and I guess what I fear is that my relationship with death will only become grimmer as I age. Uh, like, let's see. Well, it, that, that comes down to beliefs. 
uh, honestly. And, and yeah, right. And I'm wondering if my beliefs can change in any way because I kind of wish they would. Uh, Hungry Like Wolf says, I'll, eventually I'll be distracted with life again so that I forget about it until it strikes me again. But uh, the fear of death just randomly strikes me. It has increased in frequency as I age, and now I have to intentionally redirect my thoughts. No offense, Hungry Like a Wolf, but that's my fear. I don't want to become like Hungry Like a Wolf. I don't want to think about death and increasing amount as I age until it's all I think about. I mean... Uh, and I'm really worried that that will well, be Well, so... I guess I, I want to like slightly pick at the que- the thing you said about I, I don't know if I can change my beliefs. Because yeah. you can. Everyone can. Beliefs are a choice. All beliefs are a choice, fundamentally. They're not a feeling. Um, will they feel right to you? That's the part that's work. And I think that's, for instance, why in whatever tradition you referenced, was it Buddhist? I'm not sure. Uh, the well, t- um, Tibetan, Tibetan culture, culture, I think, has a more friendly relationship Great. with death in some I, you regard. can tell that what they are doing is reinforcing a chosen belief you know what i mean and i'm not saying they're wrong right. i'm just saying like that's what's happening is they are culturally reinforcing that to some degree i think your belief is culturally chosen and you know and reinforced right. by the culture in which i and live we do have a culture but, that doesn't want to deal with suffering yeah. or death that is true we do have that as a that is american culture right now and it's Especially America, yeah. we're very youthful, or we're, and I mean, all you have to do is turn 40 to suddenly realize, like, oh, wow. Oh, this, our society's culture is built for yep. 20-somethings and 30-somethings. Right. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. I could feel myself leaving the key demographic when I turned 36. Yeah. I was like, oh, all this stuff is not aimed at me anymore. Yep. Um, and that's a pretty low ceiling, man. There's cultures, of course, where society is catered to you all the way up to old age and old people are revered uh you know i'm thinking of some south american cultures that as used well, to where be most cultures grandparents and great-grandparents live in the same house right yeah right it used to be fundamental but we've reached a state of i mean some people would say social alienation where we're all little productivity units and really our nuclear family is all we care about way more than our neighbors or what have you in most cases i know there's people who still have close ties with their neighbors and great grandparents and that's cool but it's the that's the exception not the rule i think in american culture we it's, are very scared of it's death it's how we perceive each other right now i think there's a debate about whether we accurately perceive each other but that's not what this podcast yeah. is about the point being drilling down on the death piece that like this is a chosen belief and you're hearing from all these people who are american presumably not all of them, but many of them, you know, that they have experiences that have shaped their feelings about it. And then they have chosen beliefs. I have chosen beliefs and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about death. Maybe that those beliefs are, you know, a solve against the pain of death. I'm willing, I, I can accept that critique. That's completely possible. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I can tell you that in the last few years when things have not gone the way I wanted them to go um, and death was a thing I had to think about more. Uh, there was there was work to be done about how to apply those beliefs to my circumstances, and we all have to do that. Right, all of us do. Well, because that's the thing is the fear of death. Even though I was just talking about how we could have a different relationship with death, and it seems to be culturally motivated, and you can reinforce any set of beliefs. At the same time, to me, there seems to be some scientific grounding in the 
secular idea that death is just an oblivion to be avoided at all costs, only because that's what our bodies tell us, right? There is an animal instinct to not die, and that's really just to keep you around long enough to procreate. Um, but it does exist. But that's a belief there too. Is, there, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what? Well, the the reason that impulse exists is so that we will reproduce. You know what I mean? It's like you have this narrative: well, be fruitful and multiply. That right? I'm not saying that isn't part of it. I'm just saying right. there's a narrative that's been assigned to uh, the point of consciousness, the point of the way our bodies work, that is limiting. You know, and as and is isn't actually that isn't actually a scientific fact that narrative that you just suggested. It's mm, an extrapolation on perhaps facts. not. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm not questioning like I'm not questioning all this as though it's not true. I'm just saying like sometimes the narrative gets a little narrow. You know, and it's and it's yeah. not actually that scientific that narrative. You know, that's an explanation for a phenomenon that we have that's based on some scientific observation, but it isn't a scientific fact. Just like, right. you know, uh, like... We do observe that most animals avoid death if they course. can. Of course. Right, of course they do. No, yeah, of course they do. Okay. Um, I'm not disputing that. we're agreed on that. No, no, I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying that sometimes those beliefs have a way of sort of drilling down into this sort of inevitability, and then, but if they were completely factual, why are you so uncomfortable with them? You know? Yeah, right, yeah. I don't know. That's that's, that's a real question. Problem. Yeah, you know. Um, um I want to give a comment of someone who at least agrees with me. Sure. Because uh, most people, I will be honest, this is like uh, most people who responded. Uh, this shocks me. More people were not afraid of death than were afraid of death. I'm, and sure. I, of course, expected a landslide in the other direction. Um, user nine eight nine five two five four five seven zero one three five says. I am absolutely existentially terrified of death. It's my biggest fear. If I believed in an afterlife, I, maybe I wouldn't be, but the idea of non-existence is so terrifying. Mm. And I agree in my bones with that, and yet it makes no sense. It is also an unscientific approach, no offense, user, uh, because as Art by Garth says, I'm not worried about death because once I'm dead, I won't be worried anymore. <laughs> like, I can't. Right. Why if don't you feel like that? If it is non-existence. Right. Why would I fear non-existence? Right. Because non-existence, by its definition, is a fearless place. But you're not... It, you will not suffer anymore. That's right. You will not suffer or fear anymore. If, it, if indeed it's nothing, that's pretty fine. It could be way worse than nothing. But you're not um, alone. You're not alone in that. Uh, you're not alone in that fear either. You know, uh, yeah. many, many philosophers, many, uh, you know, wise men of various traditions shared your fear. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly where I read this, but I think it was Frederick Nietzsche who thought that hell was preferable to, uh, to non-existence. Ooh, you know, I don't, I got a part that's wild, ways, right? That's a man, wild belief. Isn't Friedrich it? here. Yeah. 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 Um, that's actually brings us to another comment that's pretty fitting to throw in right now. Sure. Let's cause, let's cause some HVAC says. Gary Oldman has a speech around the middle of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead where he outlines how it's better to be dead and buried than alive and buried. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay. fair enough. Sure. That's an easy logical win. But yeah, yeah. but it, it does a good job of articulating a logical argument you can toss at your brain when it won't stop messing with you. And uh, I just think that works well with the Nietzsche quote is the only reason I bring it up. But yeah, hell preferable to non-existence. Man, 
That's a wild That's such a fascinating concept. And yet I can see the logic behind it, the kind of spiritual logic behind it. I also, I guess I just want to like give a shout out to, to like. Nietzsche. (laughs) Nietzsche, cool mustache. Uh, (laughs) All, all of us who have in our hearts a way we think about life. Right. And then get into a painful or stressful or uh, anxiety inducing circumstance. And mm-hmm. like really endure the flame under it and uh, feel differently. You know what I mean? Like I like yeah. that, I really think that's a core human experience, um, or at least it's been an experience for me a bunch of times. Uh, and I'm not saying that to undermine anybody's confidence right now. I'm just saying like I really do think that that there is a there circumstances have a way of determining how you feel about this question. You know, like they really yeah. do. Well, let me ask this then. Yeah. Has it changed over the course of your life or stayed pretty consistent? I've had to grapple with it at times. Like when you were a little kid, did you basically believe what you believe now? No, 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 no. When I was, no, when I was a kid, I had, I think, whatever random set of intuitions I came to when I was not able to sleep at night or whatever. Right. You know, um, I remember when I started being a Christian and learned those like learned those tenets and sort of came to believe mm-hmm. in them. But I got to tell you, like in my early youth, even uh, like the afterlife is always an afterthought. You know what I mean? Like, like the, like the life to come is like, ah, eh, yeah, sure. That'll be great. You know what I mean? Like, th- like it's still mm-hmm. a way of not dealing with it. You know, it's, it's only in the last few years when again, I think culture has become not for me anymore. And uh, you know, and again, failure and, to some degree, you know, health is not what it used to be. Um, when I've had to look at it more that I've had to wreck, reckon with it, reckon with death more. Yeah. And that's when the beliefs have become more codified and chosen. And sometimes they don't sit as easily as they used to, you know? Yeah. Interesting. I don't, this is neither here nor there, I guess, but except that you mentioned it earlier, sure. but um, you'd be a great husband, man. I would love to see you married. <laughs> I think that would be a good role for you. You're very you. sweet. Thank you, sir. Not necessary to make you an amazing person, which you already are, but Godspeed. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. You know. Um, when I was little, shortly after the car accident, one of my regular things was my parents would find me standing very still places, like on the way to school. Like my mom would get a call saying I didn't show up at school. And she would walk the route to school and see me frozen on the sidewalk. Mm. And I would say that I suddenly knew that if I moved, I would die. Mm. And I can't move. And uh, that eventually went away. But that just gives you a hint of where I was at as a child and where I'm at now. I no longer believe that if I move, I'll die. But I do often harbor the almost paradoxical opinion that there is a God because he has it out for me. Right. And, and right. yet at the same time, I believe because God has it out for me, when I die, I'll be non-existent. Um, he'll punish you with annihilation. He'll punish me with annihilation because he has it out for me. But none of those things conflict in some way. What a, yeah. what a, uh, what a weird guy. Not a weird are. guy. I, you know what it makes me think? I, it makes me think, mm. um, how, how the, the pain you're living under with those with those beliefs you know what i mean like yeah, i think you're living under man, pain with that i that's a, those are painful i am beliefs. and that's part of what i'm 
hoping would come out of this conversation or just in my life as I age. Yeah. Why do I... Oh, I'm actually choking Why up. do you think that? Why do I... Why do I take away from myself anything that could comfort yeah. me? Yeah, yeah. Likewise, what is my instinct to go, if that is comforting, it is a lie. Uh, I can tell you what I but think. But that really is my compulsion. Yeah. If it helps you. I, I, I don't think that we... Uh, I think there is a part of us that is at war with ourselves. I, I do think that. I think that in human nature is a part of you that is, is at war with you, is trying to destroy you. Um, that's yeah. always been a Christian belief. They've called it sin. They've called it uh, a lot of different things. But essentially, it's, a, it's an irrational part of you that's trying to destroy you. And Well, and philosophers have couched it in quote-unquote scientific terms and just called it the human urge to self-destruction. Right. Like, it's a known quantity, right. I think we all come up against. It's a known quantity that I think a lot of times we're trying to medicate or we're trying to uh, ignore or obfuscate or explain away. Um, I think that it requires attention. You know, and I don't, I don't claim to have conquered that part of myself at all. I, but I claim to that, that God has conquered it for me and is conquering it mm. in me every day. And that takes work. Um, and it takes a certain amount of surrender, you know, which is, but nobody asked for a sermon here, so I'm not going to give you one. But I, but that's why, Mike, I think like that irrational yeah. thing is what is at work, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's painful. The great, the greatest trick that devil pulls is making you think it's rational, right. or that That's only right. that that is the only rational right. view. The only rational view is that the universe is cold and cruel, and only I can accept that because I'm stronger than all these feeble-minded people who don't believe that. Uh, yeah, there's a kind sometimes of... the place of arrogance that I come that's from. Right. Really, if I'm being that's, honest, that, and see, that's the thing is, it appeals to a part of you that's flawed, but that you cherish, and that's why it sinks in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like uh, for me, I'm much more inclined to believe anything that makes me feel uh, smarter than somebody uh, or morally superior to somebody. These are flaws I have. Um, and we've circled back to Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are, and like, yeah. so when the part of me that's irrational and destructive wants to sort of lodge a, a belief that is not accurate, uh, wants to obfuscate things that are good for me. Those are the things yeah. that it appeals to. Or self-pity. I love self-pity, yeah, man. man. I fucking love yeah. self-pity. You know? Yeah, yeah. I love it, man. Second. Right. And it's really destructive. It's, it's, uh, it is isolating and it is poisonous, you know? And I, I believe that about a fixation on death. It wastes time. You're going to be dead long enough. Right. Let's think about life while we're here living. Right. And I guess that's why my greatest functional fear is that death will come, will overtake my thoughts and become my constant companion. Um, when what I should really be doing, I know, I know what I should really be like doing is you. being present. Yeah, yeah. Where, or you lose time, you lose your ability to be present and experience the actual life that's going on around you. So it's like uh, Hungry Like a Wolf said, life comes along again and distracts me. I am finding myself less and less distractible as I age. Uh, and that worries me, but I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, as I, as we record this now, I'm thinking <laughs> human minds are so weird. Mm. I'm like, maybe this will be a watershed moment for me. Maybe I will change my relationship with death now. Maybe this can all work out. <laughs> maybe it can, you know, I, I, both of those thoughts are I there. I continue to believe that your case is not hopeless. 
if you're around hearing this, your case is not hopeless either. None of our cases are hopeless. Yeah. Um, I do think that that thing that's trying to destroy you is it has to be reconciled. You know. Um, yeah, man. It has to be reconciled. Hate that guy. Yeah, and you know, all of us have them. All of us, or her, you know, whatever gender you want to assign to it. Um, all of us do. And I do think yeah. death. I do think we understand that there is a relationship with that thing in death. Um, yeah. And that's, that's it's all. interesting that all we can experience is life. So really our experience of an understanding of death is only ever in the context of life. And it only ever really impacts our life. Like, I don't know. It won't. Im- your thoughts on death won't impact your death. Your death is going to be whatever no, it's going to be. I could, you know, yeah. I could keel over of a heart attack in 20 minutes, you know, and I'll still have said all oh, these boy. words and felt this way right. and, you know, um, or yeah. di- get in a car accident And then the mystery will be revealed. Right. Isn't that, I think Beethoven said, like, and now the great mystery. Although sometimes I think last words like that have to be made up. There's no fucking way. That does seem really powerful for just some guy to say. Yeah. He was Beethoven. Well, there's the, I love last words though, man. What's the Oscar Wilde said, either that wallpaper goes or I do and then die. <laughs> Again, I don't believe that it could be true, but I, uh, but that is apocryphally what is said. I, I, you have uh, to really know it's coming to have a great set of last words or just that's, get very that's what lucky. I mean, yeah. you know? Or I think if you are a writer, it's kind of appealing to try and think up sure. your last words, but I don't, I don't know how you would know exactly when to deploy them. Maybe he said it and then he was silent for 72 hours, you know, right. just to make I, sure I, those I can't were his say, last I words. I can't do anything else. I yeah. did it. That's yeah, that. I got to yeah, stick that one. the deal. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about media yeah. and sp- music seems the most compelling mm-hmm. to me, but any media and wondering if that has shaped or altered. Cause we talk about it as a culturally driven set of beliefs um and we were all about media in this house i'm gonna read a longish comment from vampire private detective great name i started having nightly panic attacks about death when i was eight thanks to an old negro spiritual i heard when my parents were listening to npr in the car with the lyric i want to go easy when i go Mm. even then i didn't believe in an afterlife the only thing that comforts me now is the idea that forward moving linear time is a construct of human perception and all of time is actually simultaneous as we touched on earlier um that is a belief that i hurl at myself to try and comfort my brain but there's also a song ironically called when i go about death that is maybe the only thing that's ever truly comforted me and i don't it's indefatigable i can't really explain concretely why it comforts me but there's a folk song called when i go and when i hear it i don't feel so scared of death you you have anything like that <laughs> boy um no i don't i'm sorry no it's uh, well, even okay. though i've had access to worship songs and spirituals like you're referring to that's what i assumed it was you were gonna say that worship songs have moved you um, in some way well you know it's more i there are a few ideas that are in worship songs that move me um but you're an idea man first and foremost. kinda yeah i yeah. kind of always okay. have been yeah it's the philosophy that actually compels you and an image sometimes like an image of uh like yeah like i have an image of what it will be like to meet god in the face that really moves me um yeah yeah that that's an idea also i think the idea of people who have been waiting to see you you know what i mean like, like yeah. you show up and it's like he's here you know like that's yeah. a, that's a very moving idea i think 
It's a coming home. Yeah, right? Like like the coming home we've all been waiting for. Yeah. You know, that's a that's what I'm looking forward to. Um yeah. That moves me. This this is so interesting to me. Distant Mirrors says, "I 100% don't believe in an afterlife, so death doesn't worry me." See, everyone's so interesting. See, I 100% don't believe in an afterlife, and that's what worries me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. this person is like, therefore, I never think about it. And I'm like, oh, man, that's, I wish I could do that. That's so interesting to me. Um, I don't know, man. It might be a gift that you can't. Hmm. There's, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, and I'm not saying that I'm not here to disparage those commenters and their, few, their views. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, I don't know. If, if that thought troubles you, that means that idea doesn't work for you. You know, like you, yeah. you're... And there's a gift to that, the gift of now find the one that does, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, well, I, we, uh, we yeah. talk about doing a philosophy pod a lot because both of us really like discussing philosophy. We do. And uh, I briefly, I believe, pitched to you the idea where you would try to convince me to be Christian or believe in God. Uh, yeah. And we decided and like, that no. wasn't a good idea for a <laughs> no. podcast. But... I do want to. <laughs> I want someone to do that for me. To convince you to be you Christian? Who. Um, to shake my gut feeling that death is a horrible punishment and that it's going to be awful. I would like someone to somehow help me shake that idea and change it. Well, I mean, I can help you in one way. Uh, I, I the only reason I don't I, I don't preach at people in these meth in these venues about Christianity. No, you're super respectful, I would say. Yeah, I just don't yeah. I, I and I don't I don't think that people generally benefit from being forced to listen to uh other people's religious beliefs unless they're curious, yeah. unless they want to hear it. If they want to hear it, that's great. Um and I'm happy to share. And you kind of want to hear I, it a little bit. I do and I am yeah, yeah. curious, yeah, but yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. mean it needs to be a podcast okay. for everyone to hear. <laughs> I mean, I just will say this one thing, and I think this is I, I think this would be of help to everybody if they're curious or not. Um, I I do believe this is true in life about a lot of things where you're stuck, that there has to be a reaching out to there has to be a reaching out that starts with you. Like if you want to get past this death thing, you gotta reach into death a bit and and is there more? Ask more. Seek yeah. more. Because you're kind yeah. of in a static place, you know? Yeah, the you, same place I've been my entire life pretty yeah, much since nine years old. I, and I can't, you know, I'm not here to like document, have you tried X, have you tried Y? I know that when I've reached those kind of obsessive points, and I've had a few- I mean, I, I've tried X, but I really prefer cocaine. <laughs> I hear it's the best one. Uh, <laughs> you know, I hear it all the time. Um, I have always gone back to, like, I have sought God. I have sought him when I've been in yeah. those painful parts. And it doesn't always immediately change things, but it always, I do get an answer eventually. I have always gotten an answer eventually. Hmm. Sometimes immediately, sometimes yeah. not. If you want an answer like that, you gotta, you have to ask for it. Would you call it a definitive answer? Because... I feel like I would call it as definitive an answer as as you're gonna one get can in have. this in this realm of reality. Yeah, yeah. In my view, God has chosen not to force us to deal with Him face to face. That's on purpose. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, some people say, well, of course, that's because it's not real. Hey, okay, we don't agree on that. That's fine. But like, uh, I think that the, all this suffering is an invitation to reach out. In a way, it is, yeah. an, it, it is God reaching out in some ways, saying like, I know you're not comfortable with death, therefore reach out to me. Find yeah. out who I am. You know? Um, and I don't know, maybe that would be helpful to you. If it's not, I'm sorry. I'm not, you know, trying to be, yeah. belittle you at all. Um, no, it, it's helped surely me. not. Yeah. Um, my 70-year-old mother-in-law commented on this post on TikTok. Oh, really? Which is funny because now I know she watches my TikToks and that's completely changed what I want to TikTok <laughs> about. But I don't fear my own death, not really. I only fear the death of those I love. Mm. I accept death as part of the human condition and I love all my humanity. Um, just the idea that she's 70 and can say that and mean it is inspirational to me because I'm 38 yeah. and I can't. Yeah. Um, so I hope to evolve my relationship with death because in a way, like you said, your relationship to death is a, a shadow of, or just, or a, a component of your relationship with life and your relationship with yourself. Yeah. I mean, you're, you've always been deeply curious. I think that's part of why death is scary for you. I think there's a lot of us who are not that curious, um, who just yeah. kind of want to have it settled and tucked away. Or they away. can keep their eye on the ball. I feel like yeah. my thing is I just think too much and I'd rather be able to keep my eye on the ball by which I mean, be present and be engaged in whatever's going on. Like uh, case in point, People long, you know, close listeners will know this. I'm fucking with my mood meds right now and I'm not having a good time of it. Right. And uh, this has been delightful. This dour conversation about death that I was fearing and nervous about hopping on, you know, to do has been really cathartic for me. So I don't know. I'm so glad, man. I never know what the fuck is going to happen to me. (laughs) Yeah. And I I mean, like, again, I'm not a doctor and uh, has having, you know, had a, having traveled along the path with you a little bit with this over the last few years, I just, you know, I would say you, you never underestimate the power of all the stress that you live with. Yeah. You know? And the, quit the cocaine. The cocaine is not helping. enough on the cocaine. It's it is It's ratcheting fun. you up, man. You're it great, is at, fun, a party. It, great at a party. Great at a party. it's fast fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or at least you think you're great at yeah, parties. Yeah, I've had a hard time at parties with you, but I'm trying to, you know, trying to be positive. Yeah. No, for real, you know, like, uh, just the job stuff and, you know, you got married this year. It's a lot of stuff. It's, it's a yeah. lot of big stuff in one year. I don't know. Seems like a lot to me. Yeah. And if you're looking to hire a freelance writer, my name again is Michael Swaim. You could uh, do Adam, much, Adam's much referencing worse. my unemployment there. Much, much worse. One of the best writers I've ever worked with. Oh, my God. Right back at you, sir. Yeah. Thank you for saying so. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I'll, I'll never stop getting tired. I'll never get tired of telling this. So I wrote a Today's Topic. This was, I don't know, eight years ago or 10 years ago or something um, about Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. You probably don't even fucking remember this one. My brother and I wrote it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, we did a fine job. It was, a, you know, he was, he, we were both, we were excited to write for Cracked. It was fun. And uh, I sent it to Swaim, whose job was to do the punch-ups on all these Today's Topics, like one of eight things he was writing at the time. 30 minutes, he sends it back, and I sent it to my brother. I was like, check this shit out. And my brother came into the living room, wide-eyed. He's like, oh, my God. He can do that <laughs> in 30 minutes? I swear to God, he said that. You know? Wow. He really did. Oh, man. He really did. 
It's true. Well, now I don't want to die. I want more stuff like this to happen to <laughs> Keep me. writing today this sucks. Great. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, dude, I got to say, yeah. I'm... Um, I hope Oren doesn't hear this, but you know, Oren's back at Cracked. I know. The guy who ran Cracked when we were there. Good guy. I'm he- I'm heavily considering reaching out and trying to get work at Cracked, so we could be yeah. doing more Today's Topics. Who knows? I'll write a Today's Topic with you. Why not? Yeah, I'd totally write a Today's That'd Topic for someone else to be in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Like, after all no. these times we've had to uh, write them for ourselves and stuff, like, here you go, young, Dude, young bucks, go for it. I, I don't have ego about that either i know like you know soren and daniel have gone on to write for real tv etc if i'm 50 and i'm still working at cracked it doesn't really bother me (laughs) i I just need something to do i've come to a place where i have real joy that i am writing screenplays regularly and it's done that's right yeah and real joy to do it in and of itself writing the book was writing the book was an incredible experience yeah, man, it I was bet. like a incredible giving myself a chocolate cake of mind every day <laughs> well and like you did it you know what i mean like, yeah. like so so many people don't do it and it, it that doesn't necessarily make you better it just means like wow it's really significant that you got that done yeah you know? it felt good really yeah, felt good the day that good. i knew it was done yeah it is good. All right. We're straying away from the topic here, Sorry. so I think it's time to wrap up. Okay. Um, I've read everyone's comment except for Stella's, so I'm going to read Stella's. I have depression and anxiety, too. I don't implicitly fear death, but I'm afraid of being afraid when I die. Does that make yeah. sense? No, yeah, totally it does. I'm afraid of yeah. having a bad death. Yes, I completely understand that. I'm afraid of the roller coaster ride, yeah. for sure. I, yeah. I think that's completely rational. Yeah. Like, I completely understand that. You know, like, so what, feel understood, Stella. One of my favorite Bible stories, if I'm allowed one Bible story, I'm sorry. Yeah, one, just, one, one counselor, and then we're uh, out. Thank you. So, uh, if pe- I'm sure people know enough about uh, John the Baptist to know who that is. John the Baptist is a guy who his main role in the New Testament narrative is like sort of intro figure for Jesus, right? And he right. and he sees this is this is the son of God. This is the promised man, right? And he's the one that testifies to it. And he, you know, he's called one of the greatest people who's ever lived before Christ, and so on and so forth. At the end of his life, he was imprisoned and facing beheading, and he sent a messenger to Jesus. And bear in mind, he had a miraculous vision of Jesus with like the spirit of God descending on him and all this stuff, right? He sent a message to Jesus, and the message was, are you really the Messiah? And I think that's a really fascinating message to send, because he, right. ha- having had all that You're stuff, the one, you're the guy who's not supposed to ask that. You're right. supposed to know that. Well, yeah. I think that tells you that in the face of suffering and pain, that the things you know become uncertain. You know, like, mm. that death has a way of making even the most transcendent vision of what is to come or transcendent vision of what is true about life can crumble in doubt in the face of pain, suffering, and death. I think that's normal and it's good for us to remember that. It is what it is. Yeah. It's inevitable, much like death itself. Okay. Then I'm going to tell one pop culture story. Please do. Uh, And then we're out. It's an old black and white movie I saw, and I don't even remember the name, but gosh, it stuck with me. It might be Angels with Dirty Faces. I don't know. Oh, okay. I, think it's a, I think it's a Cagney movie, but I regardless. Need, oh, oh, it's like an old gangster movie? Yeah, there's yeah, this yeah, old okay. movie where yeah, this yeah, yeah. guy's on 
is just the story as like a parable always stuck with me. Okay. This guy's on death row and he's going to be executed publicly in the electric chair. And it's a big news story. And the preacher comes to see him and get his last rites. And he says, you know, um, when they drag you away to the electric chair, like when you're about to die, please be an example to the kids who will be watching, which it's weird. There's kids watching for some reason. He's like to all the young people out there. They they need to see you fear death. You need to thrash and cry so that it's a good example to people. And all we know about this character leading up to the this point in the movie is he doesn't fear death. He doesn't give a shit. He's dead inside already. He's a fearless. That's what made him a killer of men is he's he ha, he lacks that gland. He doesn't fear death. Um, and then yet, of course, as they drag him away, he starts to froth and cry. And the idea is. Is he doing that to redeem himself because he decided to be a good person at the end? Or is he just having the normal doubts that come with death finally confronting you? Is he just crumbling like a person crumbles? And uh, I just always really like that story. Again, it doesn't provide any answers. It just sheds some light on the human condition. I've heard that As I hope we have done. I've heard that story before in a sermon, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I have, yeah. It's it's definitely been done in a movie because I remember it. Yeah. Okay, all right. That's enough death talk for me. Sure. Uh, if you want to hear more of Adam and I having witty repartee, check out One Upsmanship, our video game podcast. Check out Escape from the Multicurse, which we do with Abe Epperson. We check sure out do. Director Piece Theater, which they do without me. Um, I don't think there's anything to plug explicitly, is there? Do you want to get more uh, students in your classes? <laughs> I hope this isn't how I get them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, you know, Mike and I are, are have written a screenplay that'll be out in the world, we hope. Yep. Uh, I have a documentary right. that may be coming out this year, and I will keep you all informed. Please do. And uh, Maggie and I have a David Lynch podcast that we're launching, God willing, in the next couple of months. Uh, okay, So, you know, there's Great. a few things. Yeah. And that's going to be a video pod, right? That is going to be a video pod, so you have to look at my stupid face. Talk about Over on Lynch. <laughs> you get to look at his well, stupid face. Well, fortunately, you get Maggie's wonderful face. So Over on Maggie's channel, right. Yeah, That's Maggie. not going to be a small beans joint, so right. you'll have to look for that. I believe it's called Lynchpins. Lynchpins. Right? Yeah. 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 Good title. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the Tales from the Pit. I hope it helps someone out there feel less alone or at least kill an hour. Yeah. Um. I'll see you all at the end. Love to you all, and especially to you, my friend.